and pastor asked me to uh, fill in this Sunday and next Sunday for him. Uh, I uh, was praying about what to, to speak specifically, and uh, the Lord led, and so we're going to be going through James chapter 4 this week and next week, um, uh, getting mo- mostly through all of it, uh, and, uh, but I hope that uh, this chapter of uh, James is a blessing to you. Um, you know, have you ever asked yourself why wars and fights are started? So many of you know that I am a huge sports fan, and I was this opening illustration wasn't planned until after yesterday. Um, it just kind of came to me as I was studying last night um, why it took that long to come to me. But even for those who are not major sports fans, many probably knew or I've heard of the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry in football. Uh, It's hard not to see it in the news, uh, especially the week of the game, leading up to that football game. And if you follow sports in any way, shape, or form, or anything of that long in those lines, there's a lot of kind words said between both sides. They love each other beyond belief. They uh, love the people down south, love using and blocking out the letter M in every time during that week. In fact, I noticed yesterday on Fox's Sports uh, ahead of time when one of the commentators' last names, he was a previous football coach from the team down south. You like how I keep saying that. Um, but Ohio State, um, they actually X'd out his, the first letter of his name, which starts with an M. Um, that's what people in Ohio do. The people up here in Michigan, they've started calling them the, the team down south, or they don't even, uh, and maybe they say the team from Ohio at the most. Uh, n- nothing nice is said. Now, by getting, okay, I'm not going to say that, but it, it, it was a wonderful thing that Michigan won the game yesterday, okay, from being a Michigan fan. But I was curious on, on what kind of comments were said after the game, if they got any kinder. They didn't. They only got worse. Uh, So many different negative statements said. And to the point that there is legitimate hatred from one side towards the other and vice versa. If you were to go on social media or even today and read comments made by both sides, you would see complete hatred towards others. And they don't even have relationships with them. I mean, just speak, speech of hate and anger and, and all of those things. And, and when we think of that, there's a bunch of quarreling and fighting. I mean, there have been fights on the field throughout the history of, it's been 119 games now that they've played each other. But there's a lot of vitriol and anger and quarreling and fighting And James, actually, here in James 4, we're going to look through the first five verses. And you could, as I was deciding where to split the chapter up over these next few sermons, I could have split it at verse 3, I could have split it at verse 6, but I chose to split it at verse 5. And so really, this morning is really part one of next Sunday morning's part two. Uh, and, And really, we're going to be looking at this morning this idea of evaluating our allegiance. And what I mean by that is we're going to see from the text that the way we act, when we are quarreling, when we are fighting, when we are living through selfish ambition, uh, 
we are at odds with God and showing that really we are not living in allegiance with the way God, with, with God and who God is and how he wants us to live. You know, if you want to go into further history, if you jump into a mental time machine and go back with me all the way to the French and Indian War and then jump ahead to the Revolutionary War, that's a really fast time jump. Now let's jump to the Civil War. Now let's zoom ahead to World War I and World War II if you're really to boil each of these down to the initial instigation, you most likely will find the passions of selfish men. Men who thought the world or life should be a certain way and thought it necessary to thrust on it as many as possible to the extent that he was willing to even kill for it. In many ways, we as Christians have allowed this type of mindset to infiltrate our lives in the life of the church. James ends chapter 3 admonishing us to sow righteousness and peace. If you look at the end of chapter 3, the last verse of chapter 3 says, And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And then he jumps into chapter 4 here, and it says, and really, by the way, we all, I know pastors mentioned before, chapter divisions aren't inspired. And I would say that this is kind of a poor chapter division. Uh, if you were to look at the passage of Scripture, chapter 4, 1 through 3 really could be combined uh, completely with the end of chapter 3 in the flow of, of thinking because he talks about sowing peace and then he goes immediately into what? What is the source, chapter 4, verse 1, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He, je he jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. When you and I allow our passions to consume us and we become self-seeking, wars and fighting ensues. Arguments, quarrels, conflict ensues. By way of, again, illustrating this, our individualist, our, and, and, and illustrating our individualistic American tradition has been particularly receptive to church strife. There's this illustration given in a, in a resource I have. He said, stories like th this idea that uh, a congregational business meeting can turn into a brawl, which was finally stopped by local police. Stories like this are part of, I mean, how many times have we even maybe even joked, or maybe you've joked about church business meetings, okay? It's, it's a joke that goes through churches. Stories told of, with a caricature of this found, it says a young father learned from his children this very caricature. Hearing a commotion in his backyard, he looked outside and saw his daughter and several playmates in a heated quarrel. When he intervened, his daughter called back, Dad, we're just playing church. You know, we laugh, but sadly, it's true. We as 
Christians often find ourselves quarreling over the most unintelligent things. The littlest slight of someone towards us, and though we may not express it outwardly, we're expressing it inwardly. And James here is writing to the... Uh, we know he's writing to the Jews. The, the church at the time had been dispersed because of persecution. But he's writing to them and saying, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? We want to try to walk that line of righteous and unrighteous. And, and sometimes we blur it. And we want to, we want to live like the world. We want, to, we want to have those things, but we also want to look spiritual. Tom Rainer, a well-known Christian church evaluator, wrote an article entitled 25 Silly Things Church Members Fight Over. Here are just a few of what he wrote, and these are true things. Argument over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. Don't worry, I can't grow one. And I don't know if Mark can either. Fight over whether or not to build a children's playground or to use the land for a cemetery. Church argument and vote to decide if a clock in the worship center should be removed. A big church argument took place over the discovery that the church budget was off 10 cents. Someone finally gave a dime to settle the issue. Some church members left the church because one church member hid the vacuum cleaner from them and it resulted in a major fight and split. So don't hide the vacuum cleaner, please. A dispute over whether the worship leader should have his shoes on during the service. I don't know what kind of churches he's pulling, but... You know, we laugh at these arguments and these conflicts, but they're real. And for us to think that we're above being petty is, is scary, is dangerous. And so this morning, I really want us, uh, our main idea this morning and, and carrying over into next week is that we need to evaluate our passions as they do impact your relationship with Christ in the church. What you desire, your passions, they impact your relationship with Christ in the church. John MacArthur, in teaching on this passage, said this, Ungodly friendship inevitably results in personal conflict with others, with oneself, and most importantly, with God. And you see that in this passage. Ungodly, conflict, ungodly relationships, when we choose to align ourselves with the world's thinking, the world's uh, emotions, the world's actions, we are in hostility towards God. And so we need to evaluate our passions. What are And so let's first of all evaluate the source of our conflict. Let's first of all evaluate the source of our conflict. James 4.13 continues the thought from the end of James 3 where the Christian is encouraged to live heavenly, live out heavenly wisdom that sows righteousness and does not sow uh, turmoil and conflict. I mean, look over at the end of chapter 3. Look at verse 15. Speaking of earthly, I start in verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. 
This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. This is what James is saying. Listen, when we live according to earthly wisdom, according to the, the wisdom of the world, that is opposite of, of heavenly wisdom, of God's wisdom, we live out selfish ambition in our hearts. We're arrogant. We lie against the truth. And there is disorder in every evil thing. So he's making a statement of fact here at the end of chapter 3, and he goes on and, and continues and he gives the positive here. He says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. That should characterize the church. That should characterize us. And it is those things that sow the righteousness is sown in peace through those things. And then he comes to our text this morning and says, so where do these wars and fightings come? And he, he then is referring back to that selfish ambition. The source of our conflicts and arguments is our sinful fleshly desires that wage war in our hearts. Paul in Galatians 5.17 talks about how the flesh and the spirit war against each other. The flesh against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh so he could not do the things that he would. I was talking to, to Brian this morning before Sunday school and he told me that he was starting chapter 7. And I, I kind of got excited because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reference the end of that chapter right now. Because if you look at chapter 4, verse 1, it says, where, where is the, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts? Is not the source your pleasures? Well, what does Paul say in Romans 7, 14 through 25? He says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. For if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself, with my mind, am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. That whole passage is talking about our passions our desires. And Paul is saying that his passions, his desires are literally at war. He wants to do what's right, but then he can't, and he, when he, he, he does right, and then he's literally this, this constant turmoil. And what does he say here? He says when he's doing the things that are wrong, it's passions that are not aligned with what God wants. So when you argue and fight with a family member, when you argue and quarrel with a friend or a coworker, it is because you are living out your own selfish 
passions. So James clearly here was aware because these are doesn't the it almost seems very rhetorical in the way he's asking these questions. So James is aware of these quarrels that are going on, and James is saying is, is telling them, "Hey, listen, you can't have these things." What, he's trying to get them to understand where, what identify the pleasures that are causing the conflict, the source of the conflict. Fighting and quarreling among one another is never due to one specific reason. Very rare does it happen that it's just one little thing. Oftentimes it's multiple things. Fights and arguments happen for a reason, variety of reasons. Every time I, I disagree with my wife, it's not because of the same reason every time. But it's important for us to evaluate our life this morning and say, okay, what is it that I'm holding on so tight that when someone crosses that passion, that desire, that I get upset, that I get frustrated? Why is it that if I were a certain kind, that I as a Michigan fan, if someone says something about my team, why would I get so upset? Because I am so passionate about my team. And how dare anyone else say anything negative about him? Even if it's true. See, James here is speaking of hostility both in the short and long term. James was most likely alluding to factions that were happening in the church. Very possibly there were actual factions happening. See, we struggle... We so struggle and give into pride and selfishness. How many times have you caught yourself speaking to how a ministry area in the church should be run, but instead of humbly seeking to be a part of the solution, you rather sit back and complain about how someone else isn't doing it well? I know we've never done anything like that. Letting your passions go unbridled. It is not allowing heavenly wisdom to drive your thoughts and words and passions, but rather your selfish nature. We can't let our selfish nature rule and reign. Quarrels and fightings amongst one another happen from unbridled passions. They happen from uncontrolled passions. James' second question here, he says, Where does it, what is the source here? of quarrels and conflicts among you. He's talking about the fighting that says, is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? James' second question is all about getting the Jews to evaluate and diagnose the reasons for the hostility. And we know that, that, that we ought to be what? Unified. Unity can be undone so quickly. In fact, the Bible talks so often about unity amongst believers. John 17, 21 says that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. We are one in Christ. There is unity there. So when we are acting, as, as we'll see here, as friends of the world in hostility towards God and allowing our unbridled passions to dictate how we act, how we respond, it is those things, it goes against how God desires us to be. 
Acts 4.32, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. 1 Corinthians 1.10, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. Philippians 1.27, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you, or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for why are, what is a reason for unity? It's for the, uni, for the sake of the gospel. Then a familiar passage of scripture, Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 4, and then jump down to verse 2. So if any of these things, encouragement in Christ, consolation of love, fellowship of the Spirit, affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being what? Of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. What James is talking about. Paul is saying, don't do things through these things. But which this is where we'll talk about next week, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. We need to evaluate our passions this morning. What passions are causing frustration? What are you holding on to too tightly? See, our culture plasters this teaching of self-love all over the place. It's on social media, it's in psychology, it is in uh, life coaching about relationships, it's promoted on how to have a positive work environment, the concept of self-love, self-esteem being necessary for successful and profitable living is a lie. We need Christ. We need Christ. You don't need to think highly of yourself. In fact, you're not to think of yourself at all. Self-love will only bring hostility. Sure, it may be subdued in short term until one person's self-love intersects with another person's self-love. As we will see more fully, it will go directly into how we're to live in proper submission to God. But James is telling us that we need to evaluate our inner passions that manifest in in an external fashion. So we're to evaluate the, the source. We're also to evaluate the extent of our conflict, the extent of our conflict. You can hear frustrated desire here. Look at verse 2. You lost and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. So verse 2, we can clearly see that the, those he's writing to here are literally, they're fr- you can hear the frustration. Do you ever get frustrated when you don't get what you want? (laughs) All those who have kids, how many times have we heard as they've been hanging out with cousins and stuff this week? I mean, you hear the quarreling and the fighting and the selfish ambition going rampant. (laughs) 
Maybe us adults at the dinner table wanted that extra whatever, and there was selfish ambition going on. Who knows? Maybe that pie was just that good. I had such an amazing father-in-law, he baked like eight pies, so there was no fighting over the pie. I didn't know my father-in-law was that amazing of a baker, but I guess it's a new thing he's picked up. Uh, See, so he's not here, so I can use him as an illustration. I'm sure I'll hear about it later. <laughs> but James here is seeming to use some, some somewhat of a hyperbolic, that's even a word, uh, to make his point. But that said, the end result of severe arguments, if you think about it, have led to murder. And, and there are some commentators that debate whether or not James is speaking literally here. Or he's using this as uh, kind of like hyperbole, uh, going. You could. It doesn't change the meaning of the text one way or the other. The fact is, and I just realized I never turned on my wireless mic, did I? I'll just stay at the pulpit. Um, our pleasures. They. We need to realize the extent at which they go. Writers do this, sometimes they use structure here. Uh, there's a chiastic structure that James somewhat uses. And if you look, it says, we begin at the one part and it, it just reemphasizes, at the end of verse 2, it reemphasizes the same thing. Though we may not be in conflict at the moment with others, we may be at conflict within ourselves. We need to evaluate the extent of it. It might not necessarily be an outward conflict with someone else at the moment. But what do I mean by conflict with ourselves? Well, there's an inner turmoil that can be taken on here. You lust and do not have. You know, Black Friday was going on. In fact, I, I got a, we did a Christmas with our, my wife's side of the family, with Liz's side of the family. And I was an Under Armour gift card. I, had, I used it by the end of Friday night. So we, we have these desires for things, right? We, we lust after things. We, we desire things. How are you responding when you can't get them? How are you responding when you can't get them? There is that conflict even in, amongst yourself. And when you respond wrongly, there are devastating effects. Our world society gives evidence of the selfish ambition and conflict that can and or does make an impact on people's lives. Again, we see it through the counseling and the coaching that takes place. Passions are driving people's actions rather than God controlling their thoughts and actions. We give in to our internal conflict and often that boils into conflict with others. Have you ever not been struggling with not getting what you want and, you, and you, you're around people and you just start lashing out at them? You get upset and frustrated. You begin to speak in a way that, that is ungodly. In fact, James, what, at the beginning of chapter 3, how does James discuss things? What does he talk about? He talks about the tongue. Which I almost took time to, to actually preach on that passage because I think it's, it's a serious thing that we need to, to guard over. The tongue is not something to be taken lightly. And it's interesting that he talks about the tongue, then he talks about our selfish ambition, and then he talks about fighting and quarreling. 
Because our tongue has a lot to do with our fighting and our quarreling. Guys, have you ever had, when you were younger in high school and one of your siblings was being made fun of or something like that and you had to stand up to the, to the bully or whatever? Maybe you stood up for, for your sister or your brother and there's negative things being said. It all comes from our selfish ambition, our selfish desires. When people say negative things towards others, we cannot allow our uncontrolled and unfulfilled desires to dictate and motivate our thoughts and actions. It says, you lust and do not have, and you're, you're envious and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. If I can't get it, I'm going to do whatever I can to get it. And if I have to tear people down with my words, I will do that. If I have to mock things, if I have to, whatever I have to do, I will do it to get what I want. Is there something about the church ministry that you're holding on to too tight? An area of the ministry. That if something were to be different, you would get upset. Even if it was just general change. Because we as Baptists hate change. Why do we get upset over things that change? Have you thought through that? We shouldn't get upset about things that change unless they're against God's word, and that's, that's a whole different sermon, a whole different passage of Scripture. Maybe there's something in your family that you're holding on to tightly. What is the extent of your conflict? What is the extent of it? Because then we also then need to evaluate the motives of our prayer life. And you say, well, what is this? Look, at, look at verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you spend it, may spend it on your pleasures. James continues on with this hugging and showing our selfish ambition and why these fights and quarrels are happening. It's because we have unfulfilled desires, unfilled passions, and not only are, so now we resort to prayer and thinking that God's going to give us what we want. But we begin to do it with wrong motives. You know, I, I want, I've wondered in my life at times that maybe God's not answering prayer in my life because I'm asking the wrong reasons. The thing I'm looking for might not be wrong, but I'm asking for the wrong reasons, just because I want it. Because my, my desire is, is more important than what God wants. And so I try to use God as, as kind of a good luck charm, saying, okay, I, I, as far as I know, I'm living right. God will give me what I want. What, are your, what is your motives? What are the motives of your prayer life? What is the premise you find yourself praying to God for? See, heavenly wisdom is not asking God with incorrect motives. See, we allow our selfish ambition and pride to drive our prayer life. We pray in a way at times that our desires are going to be met. God does not give it to us, and so we become more frustrated. 
But see, God does not give it to, uh, to us certain things because then we turn around and we want to consume it on our own passions, our own desires. In the context of these verses, we can safely conclude that the prayers being made were specifically in relation to the quarrels and fightings and the selfish ambition that was driving the conflict. Have you ever been at odds with someone else in the church and you pray for their side to lose? Lord, please strike them with something so that I can get what I want. We need to stop praying selfishly, but rather pray according to God's plan and will. So what is your prayer life like? Is it full of selfishness and covetousness? Do you pray selfishly? What are the motives for your prayer life? Is it to glorify God? Is it to worship God? Or is it simply because you want what you want? And God better give it to you. And fourth, we must evaluate the impact of our conflict. It doesn't just affect you. The fighting and the quarreling, the conflict, it doesn't just impact you. And it doesn't just impact others. Unfortunately and sadly, when we are living selfishly in, in our, in our own, according to our own selfish ambition, it puts us at odds with God. You may say, well, I can, be a, I can handle being at odds with another person. I think I can handle that. You think, you're thinking wrongly, but in, in the scope of things, I hope you're not sitting here this morning saying, I can handle being at odds with God. James here is writing as he's building here, and he says, you adulteresses, what is it? He's calling us adulteresses. We have cheated and and." And, our, and have diverted our desires and our ambitions away from where they should be. And he uses the analogy of marriage to make his point. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? James is here labeling the Christian unfaithful, disloyal. This is where I get my title for the sermon. See, when we are fighting and we're quarreling, and we're living according to our selfish ambition, our selfish desires, and we're, we're seeking to please our own passions, our selfish passions, we are at, in hostility toward God. So really, we have a decision to make, don't we? We have a decision here that, that James really provides, is that are we going to be a friend of the world or a friend of God? 
Because the friend of God is not going to allow tic-tac-y things to cause quarrels and fights amongst other Christians. We're rather going to allow 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 to manifest itself in our lives. That love, the love of Christ is shown towards one another. That we allow Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. I found an illustration in a, in a book that I have. and The illustration says this, on July 25th, 2008, I had a couple of beers and was driving home at night with friends when I had a serious car accident. I thought I was okay to drive. I was not wearing my seatbelt and was thrown from the vehicle. My friends were wearing their seatbelts and walked away unharmed. I was rushed to the hospital where the trauma team performed an emergency craniotomy to reveal the pressure, relieve the pressure on my brain and stop the bleeding in my skull. I was in a coma and on life support for nearly three weeks. I suffered a severe traumatic brain injury and broke numerous bones throughout my body. On August 14th, I was transferred to Children's Specialized Hospital in New Brunswick, New Jersey for acute rehabilitation. I had to relearn how to walk, talk, and move my right arm and hand again. All because he made a wrong decision. He chose to be a friend of the world. And here in James 4, it really we can expand the application to more than just the idea of fights and quarrels. But see, when we are living in friendship with the world, we're going to have quarrels and fights. Because it's not a peaceful way of living. Look in the world. Is there an aspect of the world that is peaceful? Because the world is at odds with God. It's an important decision that we have to make. Now, he uses the word friendship here, and, and he, the word he uses here for friends or friendship is a lot more meaningful than the word we use. If I were to ask you, do you have a thousand friends? Some of us could probably say yes if you went and looked at your social media page. <laughs> Needless to say, 90% of them are probably not your friends. I'll be nice enough to give you 90%. And I would say even less of them are even barely an acquaintance. <laughs> and, I, I mean, I go to my Facebook, I mean, oh, look, I knew that person from five years ago. Sure, I'll accept them. You're my friend. I haven't talked to you in 25 years. How am I your friend? And I use that kind of just to give an illustration of our society, of our world. We what? We've really dumbed down the concept of a friend. Well, the word that Paul, that not Paul, that James is using here is this idea that it, it, it really has this idea of a deep uh, relationship. It's a relationship that is involved in sharing all things and being unified, both spiritually and physically. It is a close bonding that takes place. David and Jonathan were friends. And maybe you have a friend that you can say, I know this person is my friend. And no matter what happens, and maybe we do get split up by distance, that I know that person 
is my friend. That is what James is talking about here. He's saying, listen, so he says, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship, that a bonding, a unity with the world is enmity, is hostility toward God? This isn't just a, okay, I, we can't have acquaintances. I mean, all of you work in, an uns, an, in a secular environment, in a regular workplace. That doesn't mean you can't have friends who are unsaved. But there's a level that that friendship stops because you cannot get as far as what someone here in our church, you can because they're a born-again believer. As Christians, our relationship should be so deep because it is what? It's rooted in Christ. And James here is saying, listen, when you are a friend of the world, you are, uni- you are, you are going along with their thinking, their philosophy, and it will cause struggles and divisions and, and turmoil in your life. You are an enemy of God. Now, James is not insinuating that believers here are choosing purposely to follow the world. I don't think James here is saying, okay, they're choosing to go out and live that way. Because most Christians, if, if a Christian, quote-unquote, is choosing to live like the world, we could go to First John and other passages because that's a habitual way of living that I would, I would dare say that you may need to have a different conversation with that person. If you're constantly choosing the world, you may never have been saved in the first place. But I believe for us as Christians, too often we're falling into the fact that we are just little here and little there imitating the world. James talks about it in James chapter 2, 1 through 13. The people were doing this by discriminating against others. They're doing it by using their tongue to negatively speak about others. In James chapter 3, 1 through 12, verses 13 through 18, we see that they do it according to their own selfish ambition. And then we see it in 1 through 3, pursuing their own selfish pleasure. If this is true of your life, God is calling you unfaithful to him. When we allow our own selfish ambition and our passions to drive us, God is calling you unfaithful. And you are in hostility toward God. And they also hear in verse 5, not only is they, are they friends with the world, but they ignore Scripture. Or do you think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? In order to justify our own selfish passions and desires, we have to what? We have to twist Scripture. We have to ignore Scripture. Because what does James say in chapter 1, the Word of God, that, that, that it's what? It is like a what? A mirror. Are you ignoring Scripture this morning? Are you living in hostility towards God? Are you living 
really in an alignment with the world. I'm not saying across every area of your life, but is there an area of your life this morning where the Spirit of God is convicting you and saying, yeah, I've got certain passions and desires that aren't in line with with the way God wants me to be. You know, the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry is full of conflict and turmoil. And it's not right for people to use earthly wisdom and words to fulfill their passions and their desires. So this morning we've looked at that we must evaluate the source of our conflict. It's our passions. We must evaluate the extent of our conflict. What what level of extent is the conflict going on? And we must evaluate the motives of our prayer life. Because our passions, our selfish ambition impact our prayer life. And then we must evaluate the impact of our conflict. Are you at in hostility towards God this morning? Do you want more you, your desires more than God's desires? We need to embrace one another in unity. We need to love on one another. We need to let God's passions dictate our life. And we're going to jump into that part of it next week and how we can actually have a faithful life. James called out the church on their selfish living and explained the results of it. You and I must be striving to live in harmony with one another and with God because we need to evaluate our passions as they impact your relationship with Christ and the church. Your passions will impact how you relate with Christ and the church. Dearly Father, we thank you and praise you for who you are. Lord, I pray that this morning we would see this passage and and the truth of your word and allow it to sink deep into our hearts. Lord, it's, it's daunting to read the phrase that we are in hostility towards you when we are at f- friends with the world. Lord, I pray this morning that you would show us areas in our life, be showing us where maybe our passions are unbridled or, or unchecked. They're selfish desires that are, are on the verge of causing turmoil with others, with you. So Lord, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts and our lives this morning, that we would be a unified church family. In your name we pray. Amen.